When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. You are listening to the West Ham Fan Show on Love Sport with me, Charlie Hawkins, and I'm joined by Will Pugh and Tom Edwards from West Ham World. And this is a very special show. I can't even speak. I'm so excited. The emotion I'm feeling right now, boys, is scary. Dangerous levels, because this ain't no ordinary show. It's not enough on a Tuesday to bring you just a West Ham Fan Show. It's not what we do on Love Sport, because we're going to bring you not one, not two... But three times a bulletin here. Three bits of news, all right? Firstly, you may be thinking, hang about, West Ham, they're normally on on a Wednesday. But no, not no more. They have found a new home on Love Sport, and it is a Tuesday. So welcome to all the li- new listeners or the ones that have joined and carried over. We're excited to have you and excited to kick off the new season. But that, that was just the first bit of news. That is what they call a tease, a taster in the business. Because the second bit of news is finally... After months, the saga of the season, the transfer business of the season, it's been dragging on. Will he move? Will he go? Will he stay? Finally, Jordan Hugill has left the club. (laughs) Yes. Get in, lads. We've done it. We created a movement. He's gone. And I'm going to refer to him now as Jordan Huggle. That's how I like to know him, right? Or hug me. No, I've listened to you rant and moan, Will, for many a year feels like it and now he's gone <laughs> he has gone yeah i mean i was well surprised it was qpr to be honest but um yeah i think that was always going to happen it's a, obviously a season-long loan rather than a transfer which i think the club were looking for but unfortunately it was one of those situations where he's getting 40 grand a week at west ham he's clearly not a 40 grand a week player so we just did what we could to I imagine QPR, the the deal with QPR is probably that they were the club willing to pay the most, the biggest proportion of his wages for this season. So, he's been, you know, been loaned out to them, doesn't have to move house and <laughs> I can't see him wearing a West Ham shirt ever well, again anyway. So he's off the books, he's lowered a level, he has joined QPR. We're going to be chatting to QPR a little bit later, but now for the big news. And I'm not even sure really we can do it justice and how can we follow it up after we speak about it. But the people always need a king. And the king has spoken, and he is staying. King Arthur, he's staying. 
God, new deal, 2024, and he is, he is King Arthur if ever there was one. It was, the news came a little bit out of the blue, mm. I'll be honest, but what a man. I mean, I everyone will know, sometimes it's tongue in cheek, but I've been, I've been a massive fan of Masawaku since he joined the club, to be honest. I think it's really nice to have a... I always like a wing back who's who's got that attacking impetus in him. As the you know, as the fans of most clubs, I'm sure, but he always looked dangerous when he was going forward. And it, when it, when he got played on the left wing, I thought he was really talented. And that was obviously his defensive side of his game has done and still leaves a lot to be desired. To be fair, but he's a tricky, talented, pacey winger. And when he, I just think he was unlucky. He probably would have got more time there last season if we hadn't spent 45-odd million quid on or 40-odd million quid on Anderson, who plays in left midfield. So then Masuaka was in a bit of an awkward situation because he really isn't He really isn't a left-back. He's at best a left-wing-back or a left-midfielder. But I was absolutely buzzing to see him sign on the dotted line. I can't wait to watch him play until 2024. <laughs> He uh, he really is one of those players who's a bums on seats. You never know what he's going to do next, either terrible or unbelievably good, particularly dribbling 1v1 situations. He's brilliant, and he's one of those that I'm happy he's staying because he provides something exciting to the squad, which not many left-backs in the league actually possess, which is that ability to take someone on 1v1. And he will, hopefully there's a signal to him. I know Will said he doesn't see him as a left-back that much, but he's probably that's his position in the team right now, and we don't look like we're going to strengthen there and he will probably be the man for that role all season well King Arthur as we're now going to refer to him uh, Will you suggested the the King uh, the ki- the Lion King music but I, w- I was thinking maybe more fitting King Arthur but we couldn't find a tune but everyone knows yeah, he's yeah. King Arthur and you know this still was announced we're talking about that what I like about West Ham's business this summer and Pellegrini you know and I was just talking to Martin Allen there on Love Sport Drive the Posh Boys of Drive it's, it's always important to make signings, strengthen your side before the new season. But how key is it to extend players, retain that core of players and really kick on? It is. Uh, I, I, was, I must admit, I'd, like I said, I was just surprised with Masuaku because I think it was only actually a one-year extension. Um, I mean, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he was already had a contract up to 2023, I believe. And... It just he, you're right. You do need to, uh, you know, extend players' contracts and keep the core, the core players who are really doing well for the club. But I'll be quite honest. Until I saw that deal, if you'd have said to me before our West Ham have have extended someone's contract in the team, there'd have probably been a handful of players I'd suggested before who they uh, who they were going to award a new deal to. But you know, fair enough. Though I think Pellegrini obviously. Obviously, has faith in him and likes what he sees, and you know, it really was. It was very much, and the wording of the statement was very much a pledging. Good to see Arthur pledging the future for the club, but I think it'll be interesting to see what it means for Cresswell, the starting eleven, and you know, I mean, Ben Johnson's been looking good in pre-season as well, so I'd be interested to see how it plays out. I think that's partly what it will it will signal. I think it does mean that Cresswell's time in the starting lineup will probably be limited this season. I think with the emergence of Johnson as well in pre-season, I think the club are probably a bit more confident in that region knowing they've got a big, strong, powerful youngster coming through as well as an exciting left-back who goes forward very well, as Masawaku does. And Cresswell lost his pace ever since that injury a little bit. He lost his cutting edge in the final third, and I feel like that's that might sell him short and we could be probably looking to offload him the next few windows, probably. I'll, I'll be interested. After that, honestly, I was really surprised. And I think it is very... It seems like a statement of intent. Because, you know, he wasn't earning 
pittance before. He was on like I think it was around forty grand a week is what he was earning before. Not really certain what this what this new deal entails. You'd imagine it includes a little bit of a rise. But you know, fifty grand a week, even if it's a ten grand a week rise, that's creeping up in that's that's sort of you know creeping up into that first team of sort of salary. But the problem is, I said like Cresswell is on more than that, and from his time that last season at Upton Park, I sort of hark back to that a lot. But when a, a lot of players that year played out their skin, and the club did well, and acted quickly afterwards to to sign a court like some of those players up, even during that season there was a few who were given new deals. And I think if from Cresswell's point of view, he's he's still on that big first team of salary, and you know I, he I'm not well I'm not certain at all that he he's the shoe in for number one as left back anyway. I think he is perhaps against the the better teams when we know we're going to have you know eight or nine players in our half for most of the games. But it's a bit of a, it's a big statement from the club, and I, you can only really read into it, especially the big fanfare they made about it that that Masuaku is sort of Pellegrini's preferred option this year. Well, isn't that the best thing for West Ham then? Because firstly, they're not just thinking short-term with signings, long-term, you know, players for the future. You said it, you didn't, we didn't want these players who were coming to West Ham sort of a last stop. We wanted young players for the future who, even if they did, we, we sold them on, we got big sums of money for them, we can reinvest in the team. These are the players we're signing, you know, they're playing for their nation. And not only that, we're signing players where we're getting competition all over the squad, you know, and and it's only going to bring the best out in players. It's going to bring the best out in Cresswell. Now, you're not saying, does he start? Who's in the first 11? Surely this can only motivate him to be better for West Ham. Massively. I mean, uh, he's got, what, two or three caps for England. He obviously had a period at time in West Ham when he won Hammer of the Year in his first season. He was an unbelievable player and he has been a great servant to West Ham at his time there. He's n- But in the last few years, he hasn't quite cemented it and it's always been a bit of one of those areas where Every summer, I feel like the club are debating, do we go in and get another left-back? And Masaki started to come of age, particularly defensively at the end of last season. I think he showed something he hadn't really showed before in his West Ham career because he'd always showed him going forward, but defensively, he really showed in the last four, I know it's silly, but four games, he really showed that he could potentially be that starting left-back. And I think the club are more entitled to go down that road then trust Cresswell to get back to the level he was when he was in the England squad. I totally agree. I think the, the key difference there in Masuaku and Cresswell is I think Masuaku has got a lot of room for improvement and has not reached his footballing peak I'm just a little bit fearful I mean Masuaku's 25 Cresswell's 29 Uh, you do get the feeling with Cresswell especially watching in the last couple of seasons since that injury that he's reached his ceiling you can't well you know you get the feeling he may have peaked in his career already and that's certain I mean that's hard to say he's only 29 but in reality, he, he, generally the prime is considered sort of the 27, 28, 29 sort of era, isn't it? And I think, unfortunately, it, it just what we saw probably, I get the feeling that we saw Cresswell's best in that last season at Upton Park. The flip side to that argument, though, isn't it that we don't know our best 11, we don't know who's going to be starting at left-back every week, but isn't this exactly what West Ham wanted? Because we know how long and hard the Premier League season is. We always talk about strength in depth, and now we've got it. And if you don't necessarily know your best 11, it just signals the competition. In a season where there's going to be injuries, there's going to be suspensions, we're going to need to rotate. Isn't this great that West Ham have got this now? Yeah, I mean... It is what we've been asking for for so long. That's why we wanted the board to properly invest and there was everything at Burnley's because we want a squad. We don't just want 11 players. West Ham have always had talented players in that first 11, but 
It's outside of that. We've always been notoriously bad for injuries and everything like that. So we, as fans, know that we need a big, deep squad. I mean, left-back is you've got two solid pros who've been doing it for a while and been at the club for a while and both have had, like we said, Cresswell's had a great time at West Ham and Masuaku's definitely on the up. So, I mean, it can only be a positive thing to have two proven Premier League players in one position, which we didn't a few years ago. So we've, t- we've spoke a little bit about fullbacks, and we know you've broke your record transfer signing on strikers. What positions really do West Ham need to focus on next? Well, uh, I think the 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 one was before before this announcement was left back. I'm not really certain whether that changed anything, but I just like the idea. I like that Ben Johnson's coming through. To be fair, as well, and I think that's been maybe a little bit of a surprise package for the club over the summer. I. I think now my opinion is massively, massively we need a centre forward, another centre forward because yeah, and rightfully so. Everyone's got really. You've excited. argued that West Ham may need two more uh, centre yeah, forwards. Yeah, at, at least one. Yeah, because I think rightfully so. Everyone got really excited about Sebastian Heller, and you know me, I was one of them as well. Absolutely buzzing to see him at the club. Can't wait to see him play. But injuries happen in football, and to. Our squad. I mean, you've seen Hugo go there, and I know that was sort of a bit of a joke, and there was no, no. Tra- yeah, there was no, <laughs> there was obviously no chance that he was going to get anywhere near the first team anyway. But that officially left us with two recognised centre forwards, and you know it doesn't matter what when the when the bits come out and the pre-season tour was announced, and they had a load of midfielders shoved in the forwards to make it look like we actually had some centre forwards at the club. You know, if you were. Uh, if you look, went on to FIFA now, or you, we've got two centre forwards yeah. at the football club, and that, regardless of how good those two might be, and the fact that you know Haller might do some outstanding things, we thought the same about Yarmolenko, and unfortunately he was injured suit like you know not long into his West Ham career, and if that happens again, how on earth can we expect to be fighting in the top half of the Premier League with just Javier Hernandez leading the line? Yeah. Well, Will Pugh reckons they need two more centre-forwards. And next on the line, we've got an ex-West Ham United employee to tell us if they really do. Love Sport. You're listening to the West Ham Fan Show on Love Sport with me, Charlie Hawkins, and I've been joined by Will Pugh and Tom Edwards from West Ham World in the studio. And I'm delighted to say, on the phone, joining us now, is ex-West Ham United employee. Delighted to have you with us. We've just been hearing there from Will a little bit that West Ham still might need two more centre forwards to go with their record transfer signing Sebastian Haller. Is this the case? Do you think he's right? Yeah I agree with him um, typically with West Ham it's probably the first or second game Sebastian Haller will be ruled out for the next three <laughs> yeah. months. I pray, I pray it never happens but you know it's so predictable that you can just see that being the likely outcome um, and I don't think Hernandez um, is enough backup. I don't know whether he's particularly committed to playing for us and whether he'll fit into any system that we um, employ. And also the third alternative is Antonio, and I don't think he's a forward. Um, and then we've got a young striker called Silva, who's just had a very serious um, operation. So the options are quite limited beyond Sebastian Allen. So I think I agree with your, um, your host there that, yeah, we do need at least two. Evening, X. It's great to have you on. Um, one you. thing, just before we uh, just before we move on from him too much, the obviously the news this week that King Arthur's signed a new deal. I think yeah. his my his best moment for me was definitely the skill against Spurs when I think it was Lamella and Sonny turned inside out with some mind blowing little bit of trickery and a banged yeah. that screamer against Bolton in the cup. Obviously not ideal. The the spitting at Wigan, kind of the best and worst bits of him. What are your thoughts on uh, on Masuaku signing new deal? What do you think that does for Cresswell and the left back position? 
Um, I think it shows that he is um, most likely to be the first choice out of the two of them. Uh, I've, I've always believed Pellegrini favours him more so because of the attacking options that he offers, um, perhaps other than the defending. But uh, I'm a bit torn on him. I think some days, like you say, he's skilled. I almost think he's a better, better as like almost like as a left winger rather than a left back. But um, he's very skillful going forward. Defensively, there's some question marks, um, and I think. It shows that we want to try and work with him for for the long long time with the with the contract now, and I think it's up to him and Cresswell to fight for the left back position. And if it's still where both of them aren't performing consistently, then I think in January we're going to have to look at perhaps adding another one because the full backs have been a dodgy position for us for a number of years now. And I think Mazaraku now he's got this new deal needs to needs to cement it as his own. Hi, X. Uh, um, good to have you with us tonight. Um, Thank you. Uh, I was just thinking, what uh, what do the club see Ben Johnson's role this year? Are there any plans to send him on loan uh, at the end of the transfer window, or are we looking to keep him around as fullback cover in the long run? I'd imagine that he'll be kept now. Um, if you'd asked me that sort of two, three weeks ago, and I thought he would gone on loan, but because the friendlies that we've had out in um, China and then the game against uh, Fulham at the weekend for for me he was one of the standout players of these um, games and I think the fact that he's versatile and can play at right back and left back gives us options and I, I wouldn't be surprised that he seriously challenges for a starting point either at left back or uh, at right back and um, yeah, I think he'll stick around now because it's a great, great to have him on the bench. Um, you know, with the fact that he can cover both, because then you know he's a, you know, he's have a right back and a left back on the bench because you got him. So. X, you mentioned uh, you mentioned the Fulham game there, and it's a debate I've been having with people sort of all summer, really. Um, obviously, one one nil, Lanzini, nice goal, a few like sort of decent results on the tour as well. Uh, uh, sorry, negative results on the tour as mm. well. Do you care about pre-season? Because certainly the results, because I'm just not really, I find it hard to be bothered. Yeah, I'm not really that bothered either. I mean, I actually went to the Fulham game and watched both of the games in China on on Sky, but I I don't particularly pay much attention to them uh, because... Obviously, the whole the squad's completely rotated. The first half team is different to the second half team, which obviously you wouldn't do in a competitive game. And I just remember the year when we had Avram Grant as manager. We played some top German teams. I think we might have played a few top uh, Spanish teams, and we ended up winning all of them, and then being absolutely awful the following <laughs> yeah. season, getting relegated. So, yeah, and I just think I just think it's very very hard to judge. Um, Newcastle beat us out in China, for example. I'd like to think we'll finish in a higher position than Newcastle in the league. So I think pre I think fixtures are for pre-season fixtures are to build up your fitness, work on a few tactical systems and so on, and experiment so that when you come to your first game of the season, um, as in Man City in our case, we know what we're going to go with, we know what system, we know what players we're going to go with, um, but we, I don't really care whether we've won or not. Obviously, given the choice, I'd rather we won the games, but <laughs> it doesn't affect me that much either way. 
X, two questions then, really, because uh, firstly, Will and Tom strongly believe this is the strongest team West Ham have had in the Premier League for years. A, do you believe that to be the case? And secondly, if that is the case, does that sort of invite a pressure, really, that maybe West Ham don't want? Because if they keep singing from the rooftops, this is their strongest team, and then they don't get off to that flying start, are they almost shooting themselves in the foot and then they've spoke themselves up? Do they almost want to fly under the radar instead? Um, I, I agree it is probably our strongest team, definitely. I mean, I do still feel a little bit uneasy about the striker situation. So if we can add a couple, then I think it definitely will be. If you if you try and pick our midfield, for example, if you say we're going with five, you're picking from Rice, Noble, Wilshire, Antonio, Yarmolenko, Anderson, Lanzini, Fennell, Snodgrass. Uh, I probably missed a couple there. Cullen, Coventry. You know, there's a, there's loads there to choose from every position. There's competition now, which I think in previous years you could always look at. I know one of the positions and say, oh, we haven't got much strength there, or you know, I'm a bit worried about that. But I think if we do add a strike or so, we've got good depth and a good first eleven. It probably is our strongest team. But we move we moved to the Olympic Stadium with knowing that pressure and expectation was going to increase because that's why we moved there. And also we were promised that we were going to the next level by the board and um, anything that was said around the sort of marketing of the stadium was we're going to the next level. So when you bring in players like Allaire and Anderson and players for that money and for, of that calibre, you are expecting us to be on another level. And I don't think realistically we could go under the radar when you're spending that sort of money you know everyone knows the sort of figures in the transfer window and when they see we spent 45 million on a forward um, and then 22 million on a young midfielder the expectations are set by those um, figures I mean for me uh, the realistic expectation is the top eight um, and to be challenging for one of the Cups. And if we do that, then that will be a good season. I think it's going to be between Wolves, Leicester, possibly Everton um, uh, and ourselves um, for that sort of outside the top six spot, maybe looking to sneak a top six position. Um, and hopefully we'll, we will achieve that expectation. X, I totally agree with you about the, about the board and, the, and the, the fact we went to the ground. We were promised that the football would get better and with better mm. football and better players comes pressure. If you're a club at that level, which is what we were promised, then pressure comes with that. So I totally agree with you there. Just mo- yeah. looking forward, obviously, Atletico Bilbao Saturday and then the Hertha Berlin game tomorrow. Probably you know, likely that Pellegr- he's taken the senior players to uh, out for the Hertha Berlin game. He's going to use these next two to sort of shape the squad. If you had to pick now, and I know we're playing Men's City, so it's a little bit of an anomaly game, but if you had to pick sort of your, your best 11 for the season now, just who would that be? That's such a good question. And you know what? I've been thinking about this quite a lot and myself because I find it really, really hard. I think, obviously, goalkeeper is easy. That's the sort of start there. Um, you've got, obviously, Fabianski. At the moment, right back, I would have Fredericks just edging it over Zabaleta and Johnson because I thought he finished the season quite well. Then you'd have Balbuena and you put your centre-backs and then left-back, Got to be the king. Got to be the king. Yeah, I think I'm probably going to go with him. Yeah, I think just, just going to edge it, and he might be buzzing on the back of a new contract. So I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to go with him. Then you have Rice as your defensive midfielder, and then this is where it gets a bit tricky. So I think so. I'd go with Alaire up top on his own, and then I'm probably going to go with Anderson on the left. 
uh, Antonio on the right and Wilshire and Noble, which means I've let. No, actually, I can't because that means I've dropped Lanzini. Yarmolenko um, I mean. and Lanzini. And for now. Yeah, and, and for now. So this is where it's tricky. Actually, I'm going to have to have Lanzini. I'm going to have. Rice, Wilshire, and Lanzini in midfield and put Noble on the bench, which I find shocking saying that, but shows the options we've got. Well, that's what we've been talking about tonight on the show. It just shows you how good West Ham are feeling going into this new season and how much depth they have. Thank you for joining us on the phone, ex-West Ham United employee. They're great to chat to him. Obviously, a guy in the know knows his stuff. Certainly, Will Pugh knows his stuff. He was getting all the plaudits there, but let's... You touched upon pre-season. Let's talk about it a little bit more because you did get the 1-0 victory against Fulham this weekend. You have got two games more. I know we've spoken about it on the show. You both said pre-season doesn't matter. But I watched the game. I do the Fulham fan show on Lost Sport as well. That was a plug. But it was great to get a, uh, a 1-0 win. And you know what? To me, and I'm not a West Ham fan, it did matter. And I thought, they've got the win. They're looking good. This is the team they're talking about. And what a goal it was. Lanzini, thank you. Peach. No, it was. It was an absolute it was an absolute peach. But and we're carrying on this discussion from last week. Obviously we won the game, which is good. And the discussion we were having last week was me and Tom were in agreement that, you know, I'm not really I don't really care that much about preseason. X is saying the same thing there and so was Tom. So we put a oh, poll it's not out. A competition. We put a poll yeah, it's all, <laughs> all, all three on the same side. Exactly. <laughs> we put a poll out on the West End World Twitter during the week, so around the around the Fulham game, just after the Fulham game. And uh, the poll was, so after today's win and William Pugh's comments on the show earlier in the week, do you actually care whether we win or lose in pre-season? And the options, James Jones put this together. So it was yes, no, and only if a cup is at stake. I think he meant the Betway Cup, the prestigious Betway Cup. But you had 25% of people care whether they win or lose in pre-season. 61% said they don't care. And 14 said only if the Betway Cup is at stake. You had Greg Richfield came and said he cares more about performance than the result, wants to see improvement, a bit of team chemistry as you go along. Mads Sharp said, in my view, pre-season about gaining fitness, build on relations on and off the pitch and give fringe and youth players a chance to impress the manager. I like to win in pre-season, but other things are important. The general consensus, and I think, Tom, you tell me if yeah, you I don't agree, but is that we, it doesn't matter. No, I don't think the result matters. I think the way we play absolutely matters and I think uh, the Fulham game first 45 minutes from everyone all the noise and everything is we look pretty good and this first team was out effectively the midfield I believe that Pellegrini will want to play at least in the game against Brighton second game of the season when we can open up a bit more other than City we could play a bit more of a defensive team but I think the team he started against Fulham that midfield was pretty much who we'll go with actually at the start of the season I think by all accounts they look pretty dangerous and it was good and that's the type of thing you're looking for in pre-season them gelling as a team and a type of way being clear that we are playing that way and we're going to go flat this season not the results I don't think but what a goal what a goal well we've touched upon pre-season a little bit so basically the two West Ham fans in the studio are telling me the game doesn't matter the result doesn't matter and I'm the one watching and cheering it on and was getting quite excited when the goal went in and you went and got the 1-0 victory but what I I do think is important about pre-season because there are new signings, there are new youth players coming through. Isn't it a time to get excited and go, oh, well, this is the lineup that we could be going into the season with. This is the shape we're kind of, be, we're going to, this is what we're going to stick to. He's going to work here. This is how this is going to work. And this is kind of our, the look we want for the season. Isn't there a lot to be said for that? I think that I agree there is. And one thing that was sort of interesting, we had uh, someone else replied, Stuart Watlin, who said the same sort of thing, like, note the results are irrelevant, all about building the match fitness. But what he did say was that the intensity of league and cup games can't be replicated, therefore they have no impact on the result. And while I kind of get what you're saying about the team and what it's looking like, 
personally I'm not even that excited for the first Premier League game because it's Man City I think we might get a bit stuffed so for that the, the game after that then I'll be excited well let me interrupt you then just quickly Will because I know I keep, I'm probably harping on about it more than you two but we're saying this is the strongest West Ham side we've had in years and then you're almost telling me the first game is a write-off that seems a strange mentality if this is the best side you've had in years why are you writing off the first game? You want to be top eight. You want to be mixing with the big boys. We want to take this next step. Why are you writing off the first game of the new season? I think uh, we're, resi- we're resigned as West Ham fans. The way City have played at the Olympic Stadium, it, honestly, I said this a few weeks ago, it's pretty much their home as well. So it, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it's a tough... It's a, The hardest game you could probably get in world football is Man City first opening game of the season. As, as well as good, we've signed players and our squad is very strong. You'll do well to find a team who would beat Man City on the first day of the season when they're equally up for it, equally fresh. And I mean, it's just it's just about showing going out there, playing good performance. The, the, the new players getting their feet under the table and just starting the season off, really, and not getting embarrassed. Uh, as much <laughs> as I agree with that, you know, City, we know what side they're to be reckoned with. They are a force, but you can't give up before you've started. What happened to this big club mentality? No, you're right. And that was, you know, to be honest, that was semi-tongue-in-cheek. We have we have run City close, but we, we tend to do it more at the Etihad. We mm. perform better there. Counter-attack them more. That's it, yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, ultimately we'll, you know, I think everyone's in the in the same boat that City and Liverpool, I imagine, will be streets ahead of everyone this season. And I would snap your arm off for a point if you offered it to me now. Every day of the week. Yeah, but and, and, you know, I think, re- speaking realistically, it is West Ham's best team for decades. But that still, if you look at the whole Premier League as a bigger picture, that still only probably on paper puts you at, you know, top eight preps. Well, I'm buying in. You said this was the best West Ham side in years. I've bought in City. You're going down. Love Sport. You're listening to the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport with me, Charlie Hawkins, and I've been joined by Will Pugh and Tom Edwards from West Ham World. And it's been a good show tonight. We've talked about Long Live the King. He has signed, he's extended his contract, talked a little bit about pre-season. We've even had ex-West Ham United employee on the phone giving us the lowdown. But we have to talk a little bit about the transfer window because it is still going on. West Ham may have broken their transfer record signing. How much more business are West Ham going to do, Tom? I mean, we were talking about Obiang imminently going last week. With him now out the door, it means I think the midfield area is is the real key for me. I know we keep talking about forwards, and I think they're equally as important right now because our midfield is notoriously injury-prone. Um, it means Sanchez, who has a pretty poor pre-season and so far pretty average West Ham career considering he was injured out all of last season, basically. So we've barely seen any of him. And what we have seen looks below par. So Obiang leaving means he's pushed further up the pecking order and I don't think that's the calibre of player we want featuring in our squads too often and getting on the pitch too much. So I feel like a midfielder and a forward are needed, not just what we should be looking at. We actually need those two players to do what we want to do in the league. See, I had a little bit of a Frankie Levin who's been on the show before um, in the studio with me and James. I had a little bit of a ding-dong with him on Twitter this week. So I think he, he, he tweeted something like, similar along the similar lines to what I've been saying, oh, yeah, strongest team for ages, uh, but we, you know, we've got so many options going forward, uh, now we just need to focus on a, on a defensive midfield player. And I replied, I thought it was bizarre. I was like, w- when you say we've got so many options going forward, if, you, if Haller gets injured and we put Hernandez up front, and then if he gets injured, which can also happen, then 
we've got zero st- recognised strikers. And we had a little bit of a ding-dong about that, and he was suggesting that Antonio's presence in the squad, you know, the man who can literally play everywhere. I'm sure if the kit man got an injury, then Antonio would <laughs> be there. slotted in. Yeah, um, Is he Antonio, though, the jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none, or is that doing him a disservice? Mm, Just a genuine question I think, there. I've, I think uh, that you could go into it in a mm. bit more detail, but on the whole, that would probably be reasonably fair. I'd, if... If if I he was having a strong, moments. yeah, there's moments. nothing wrong with a man who can play in many positions. No, you can make a career not. out of it. James I'd, Milner, yeah. If I if I picked him, I'd have him right midfield. That's if if on his day and yeah. in his best position. He's I think right I saw him midfield. play against Spurs last year, and after ten minutes, he'd done so much running up and down the flank. He was absolutely knackered. Well, I think that is the problem. He's perhaps not as mobile, but <laughs> he won't know, do well on a bleep test, would he? <laughs> probably not. <laughs> but you know, in the gym, though. <laughs> I, I still like Antonio, but I think and Frankie's point he was making was that we need a defensive midfield player. And I just, I, you've got Rice and you've got, and I said, what about Noble? And he sort of said, oh, Noble's not a, a defensive midfield player. And I was like, well, he sure as hell isn't an attacking one. So, and yeah, I, I don't really think it's, it's as important, really. I, I agree with what you mm. say about Sanchez, but I think realistically, we're going to play a 4 2 3 1 this season. The two at the bottom is going to be Declan Rice and one other. And I think you're going to have. Yeah, whether it's not too deep, deep lying, you'll have Rice as the deepest lying one, and then just in front of him, you'll either have Wilshire, Noble, or Fornells, sort of depending if he's not that number ten Lanzini sort of player. So I'm not sure we're quite as short as as everyone's saying. Certainly not short as we are up front. No, just in the type of midfielder, I think that that's what we're lacking. Is that as much as they're very good ball players, all of the ones we name there. Other than Rice, you look at that midfield and you would say in a Premier League, especially defending things like set pieces up at teams like Burnley, that's a pretty lightweight midfield defensively. And I believe that we need energy in that area and we need another ball-winning midfielder who's up and down the pitch a bit more than the midfielders we do right now because they are brilliant footballers, but they have certain gaps in their game which tends to be off the ball. A bit like a, a Kiyate yeah. style, like an all-action. I, I do agree with you on that, you know, and that sort of... You can see now with the the big teams and the 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 biggest and the best teams, they have that Angolo Kante, who's obviously the the Rolls Royce mm. of the CDM, isn't he? He they have those sort of players, those all action, the Fernandinho's who just do a lot of the the sort of uglier work, if you will. And I do think Declan will do a lot of that, but I think obviously there will be games this season where, unlike teams like City or Liverpool, where who are going to have the ball a lot. There will be games when we play them where we'll need two players in that role and it'll be a bit overwhelming for Deck. But now then, in a market that is so ridiculous, these things do take time. You can only maybe sign one marquee player every year. You've gone out and got your star striker. Maybe next year you go in. You can't do it all in one window. It is very difficult. But you've just spoken about what West Ham need, what you guys would like West Ham to sign. But the question is, will they sign? Are the West Ham board going to do more business in the remainder of the window? I would hope so, uh, that, and that's all it is now at this stage, really. It's it's an I hope so. Pellegrini's come out, hasn't he, and made some comments along the lines of, you know, I'm reasonably happy with my squad. I am hoping that, you know, and I, I said it last week, I'm pleased because the the we don't n- desperately need to sign anyone, or the the as in we could put a best eleven out now. Our eleven is a quality first eleven. So anyone we need to sign now will just be squad players and hopefully improve the squad depth and a bit of backup. And but unlike other seasons where we've been like screaming out for a centre forward and we haven't bought in any. 
And as much as you, I totally agree, building a squad and getting a properly good first team takes a lot of time in the transfer and everything. But that's another reason why I think what Pellegrini has done in such a short space and improving the qualities of our squad is amazing. If you look at the team which will start the first weekend, over 60% of them will be signings that he's made, or probably 70% now. Nine of the players may be new signings that he's made, and that is that says a lot about the way we're going and how much we should trust him in the transfer window because he has undoubtedly improved us so the board need to back him and realise that he's the players he is signing are of high quality and they're coming straight in and delivering in the Premier League, at least looking like proven Premier League players. I think another one, just when we're, not Tom's right there, but when we're talking about the central midfielders and the, and the players we might need to bring in, obviously worth noting that Pedro Obiang left this week and it was, a, it was a bit of a strange one. I think everyone had kind of, Pedro included, everyone had kind of realised that it was the right time for him to go. He... You know, he'd been playing second fiddle for a long time. He just really, he never really kicked on. And sort of everyone, when he when he brought in, he was very much in that Cuyate sort of mould. Everyone thought he was an all-action midfielder. And unfortunately, he was just, in his time, he tended, and certainly towards the end, he was just a little bit too laborious, wasn't he? And a little bit, too, not quite as, not quite as Cuyate or as N'Golo Kante as you'd have hoped. But obviously, Pedro left this week. And, you know, when he did, he, you can just tell in the outpouring of... Uh, of sort of emotion and feelings from all the fans and Pedro himself was definitely one of what was one of really good will wasn't it mm, Pedro obviously massively. loved being at the club he came out he said in during his time at West Ham he became a father fulfilled his lifelong dream of playing in the Premier League you know really said good and warm things about the club and he was obviously happy in London enjoyed being part of the squad he was always a really popular character mm. and yeah so he's gone back to Sassuolo in Italy I think he's got a couple of pre-season games under his belt already but genuinely sad to see him go yeah, I think. it was sad to see him and and like you said the way he left and also he left with dignity and also that he apparently he wanted to he was sort of looking for a move out of the club for two years because he wanted first team football nothing against the club but he was told that he wouldn't be allowed to leave and he got on with it not no one really knew a peep about this fans or anything nothing came out from the club or anything got on with his job and he he did his best and he played over 100 times for us left the bowling ground played in some amazing moments in the, sco- history, the so. scorcher at Tottenham is one of the greatest goals I was I've literally, witnessed in person. I was trying to get Still in. Traveling. You two were on it. Yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. I feel like you only need one. I've got to admit, from an outside West Ham perspective, you only need to have one moment like that against a rival, Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea, or put in one big performance, whether you play 10 games, 100 games, one good season, then 10 bad seasons, you love. The legacy's created, and you'll always... Is that is that right to say you, you like you've just said there we're sad to see him go, but it's because of those moments and you just take him to your arts forever. And I, I've always admired West Ham for that. I think yeah, I you know and like Tom said there, he did play over a hundred games for us, but I'm I'm sad to see him go from more of a per, like a personal romantic mm. side mm. of point of view. Yeah, yeah, mm. because for for footballing reasons, like, that was fine. Yeah, it made perfect sense. But honestly, I remember I was in the away end at Wembley that night, just sitting, and I was sat plumb behind the goal, as were a lot of fans, obviously in that corner and as he's hit it you think oh blimey and just as you think the ball should either go over hit the bar or hit the net there was just that split second longer because he was so far out and you saw it dip and it arced up into the roof of the net and I lost my head what a fantastic goal so thanks to Pedro for that (laughs) that's that's for sure and you wish him well on the next chapter of his career well he did play a hundred times but I've got a funny feeling he's not your club legend of the week and next up it will be your club legend of the week Love sports. So, Will, if you do the pleasure of announcing the club legend of the week. So, we had Ludo McCloscoe last week, and I'm pleased to say that we're moving up the pitch slightly. And Ooh. this week, 598 appearances for the club, 
34 goals in that time. He turned 61 yesterday. So the club legend of the week this week is there's only one Alvin Martin. Alvin oh, Martin. What a man was this! And this was a joint decision, Will, or you just had to have him in this week? No, unfortunately, there was uh, there was no collusion lim- needed. No limited communication. But Tom, again, once he uh, once he heard who my thought was, once again, as Ludo McCloskey last week, we we both agreed. But yeah, the Alvin, absolute legend. He was given two testimonials at the club. He got seventeen England caps in his career, and he's probably most famous for scoring against three different Newcastle United goalkeepers in a match in 1986. The Hammers won 8-1. Martin Thomas got injured, and then outfield players Chris Hedworth went in goal, and he got injured or sent off, I can't remember that, and then Peter Beardsley went in goal, and Alvin Martin scored a hat-trick against, and he's got one against each keeper. <laughs> Talk me through the two testimonials. How did that come about? I hope he got the drinks in. Oh, again, just... <laughs> I know it. He's, uh, he's one of only two players. Billy Bonds is the only, only other man ever to be awarded that honour at the club. And, yeah, obviously 598 games is, is some feat, obviously, over a 19-year career. And, yeah, it was just, uh, obviously, a man held in that high regard. And it was at the time as well where players relied on the money from testimonials. They weren't getting the silly sums that, that players are getting nowadays. Those those were almost like, thanks for your service. And, you know, they didn't because the players needed the money. Now, David Martin in the club as well. The, the name lives on. So That's his it. son, obviously, third choice or second choice goalie this season, I'm sure will turn out, must be... Pretty special moment for both of them as well, so can't get rid of the Martins. Well, I can't disagree with that. Alvin Martin, he was your club legend of the week. This is Love Sport. Here we go. The time of the hour has arrived. The final countdown. The part of the show that matters. What's gone before didn't matter. It was irrelevant. It was nonsense. This is the West Ham Mystery Players Quiz. And it's just a little, uh, little bit of information before, a little disclaimer you liking this. Tom, you are in the hot seat. You don't have any lifelines. You have to win. I'm literally putting all it. my eggs in your basket. I can't have Will win another week. If you don't win... I walk home. Will's head, he smiled. Honestly, tonight it's been the Will Pew loving. I've not enjoyed it. And if you do win, Will, James Jones, I'm going to say, don't even bother coming back. James, the absent... <laughs> Deadwood James Jones, <laughs> who is the quiz master once again, who texted me earlier, as after he told me he'd sent you over the clues, he said, haha, you've got no chance this week. But important to remind the listeners that I am in fact 4-2 up on Tom from the first two legs. the answers, it's not my fault. <laughs> right, well here we go. Player number one. First clue, made his debut in the 5-0 Boxing Day thrashing of Cholton. Kepper. No. no. Oh, Tom, don't don't peek too nah, early. Tom's going to. He's panicking. <laughs> he's, he's so nervous. He's folding. <laughs> Clue number two. He only made, after that game, seven more first-team appearances. Clue number three. He signed from Viking FK Stavinanga. I don't even know how to say that. Could be wrong. On loan in 2000. I could have made that club up for all you know. Cool. This is this Ooh, is this this a fair James. James. It right. is a little Clue bit tougher so far. Yeah, he moved on and played for Anderlecht in 2002, where he made over 100 league appearances. Oh dear, oh dear, dear. I mean, I did say to James as well. I'm loving the will struggles. 2000, did you say? I did say Science to James it has to, it has to be, like, be nice if this is good well, radio, this, so we yeah. can actually get the answers. <laughs> Clue number five Go on. was a centre half. Got it. Go on. 
I'm going to go... Nah, sorry, no, I was going to go... Long shot in the dark. Igor Steamatch, but he played way more for the club than that. No, nothing. I was going to say some... No. No. Uh, really? In the year 2000, centre-back... You've done me. I've got nothing. No, I can't. I can't believe it. I can't. It's a stalemate. Come on, Tom! The year 2000, played for Anderlecht yeah, 100 what, games yeah. afterwards... We, we were pretty, we were pretty right, rubbish. I'm going to let you leave that one in, in the tank. Bank. Right, keep thinking about it. We'll go on to player number two. Clue number one. Only spent a single season at the club. Clue number two. Made 33 appearances, scoring one goal. Clue number three. He was a midfielder who was capped 32 times by Northern Ireland. Carl Fletcher. No. No, got it. Michael Hughes? No, you're both incorrect. Clue number four, he actually came through the club's academy in the early 90s, but he made his name at Man City before moving on to Swindon. Got it. Oh, no. Go. Oh, Kevin Horlock? No. Correct. Oh, oh hello. Now no, we believe. No. Now we believe. Will Pugh, no. <laughs> back to form. This is one hell of a I don't know league. what's worse, the fact that Will's leading or he just referred to himself in third person yeah. and went, Will Pugh. <laughs> never again, never again. So right five, five, two on aggregate. Yeah, the whole has got me. Right, here we go. Last one. Clue number one. Signed on loan in August 2005. He made fir- 10 first team appearances. Yanif Gitan? No. God, oh, Tom. M- Marco Borriello? No. You're both frozen out of the game. Clue number three. He scored on his debut in a league. Got cup- it? Kepa Blanco? No, you oh. haven't got it. Scored on it. Can I. Be, sorry, be, let, sorry, no, less sorry, confident, sorry. please. Scored on his debut in a League Cup win over Sheffield Wednesday, but didn't score for the club again. Mm. Clue number four, which I think you'll get it now. Bizarrely, he was signed by Ferguson at Man United before joining West Ham. Luke Chadwick. Oh. Clue number five. He was a French striker. David Bellion. Oh, that's that's no. Will Peel. No. <laughs> David Bellion. He was abysmal. Can, right. we, can we quickly run through the player number one again? Right. Quickly. Player number one made his debut in the 5-0 Boxing Day thrashing of Cholton. No year for that. No year no, for that. I should remember, but, but yeah, go on. If I'm honest, clue number five said he signed on loan in 2000. So yeah, true, true, true. Yep, go on. Clue number two made only seven more first team appearances afterwards. Clue number three signed from Viking FK Stavanger on loan in 2000. I'm really sorry for all the fans of that club out there. <laughs> clue number four he moved on to play for Anderlecht in 2002, where he made over a hundred league appearances. Clue number five he was a centre half. Shall oh, I, I... I give you a clue? Come on, because we're in for my time. His initials, yep. HT. HT? For my time, I say. No, you two. F- oh. HT. Oh, honestly, I should. No. This is poor, no. but I'm sorry. I think Before if you can't get this be, wheel, I'm going to be annoyed. All your points, <laughs> all your be... points erased. I am going to be annoyed. Nah, go on. You're going to have to give it to us. Right, if I give you the first name. Yep. I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Hanu. Oh, Hanu Tahini. Yes, yes, come on. Yeah. Fair play to James. Yeah. Great work, well work, done, James. Good well yeah, done, yeah. James. Good quiz. Good effects. A little bit loud. I got a bit scared. Tom, really I've disappointed melted. in I've you. Really melted you folded, today. mate. Got to give props to producer Mike for that music. Absolute underneath. legend. That was outstanding. Yeah. yeah. 
all Mike's putting together and James putting together fantastic players. Good clues. You struggled there, Will. It was nice to see. Yeah, I know. I mean, the the first two the legs, I went 2 new up and then Tom got the last one. So I thought I'd do the same thing. I thought I'd leave, let get let him get the first one this week. But no, Hanu and I must admit, fair play from James. That's that a was a difficult one. Tom was looking for his keypad to ask the audience. He didn't know what was going on. I think it was the music, because otherwise yeah, you'd have had that in the back, yeah, exactly. yeah, I knew. Of course I did. Yeah. But three and three. You know, oh, right, I keep going on about it. Listen, but... We've all played Sporkle before. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely some kind of collusion. I reckon you've texted James before. You've been studying because they're random facts and you know them. You know what James Jones thinks about me, especially when I call him Deadwood when he's not here. And the gleeful way that he texted me earlier saying, ha, 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 you're never, ever sorry, going to James, get these sorry, later. Jamie. Well, yeah. now, as much as we've got nothing but time for you, I'm team Tom and team James until <laughs> until they come up with I, the victory. I think what we'll, what we'll do when the season starts, so we'll uh, we'll get the quiz. Me and James will be be doing it every week, obviously in the studio, and we'll start a little league table. And perhaps we can compete for the Hanu Tahinen Cup at uh, the end of the season. I think, yeah. I think it's only fair. Absolutely. I think it's only fair. You just mentioned him quickly before we go. That you know, Man City, you're not writing it off, you know, obviously, but it's a difficult game. You are facing the champions. We know how bad the start you had last year. But looking at your August, you know, you're playing Man City, then you're playing Brighton, Watford and Norwich. Is that really, can we say nine points out of 12? That's got to be the aim, surely. Massively. I think as everyone sees at the start of the season, you get one win, you get a bit of momentum and you start the season well. It's, you're very hard to break that cycle of winning habit and being in amongst it in the top eight, seven, whatever. You don't, if we get to that period and gets around Christmas after picking up the easy starts of the season, I think we'll get deep into the season in the hunt for Europe. Whereas this year, what do we have? Four games on the spin when we lost? I, I I agree. And I think it sort of winds me up a little bit as well. When the fixtures come out and everyone plays the old, oh, everyone plays everyone at the same time. It's like, well, yeah, they do. But you're absolute talking rubbish. Mm. Because at the, at the beginning of the season, as Tom said there, Although it's sort of semi will be handy to get Man City out of the way if you like, you know, and I just I do hope we just don't get slapped. I don't mm. want a minus five goal difference after game one, but absolutely that run afterwards. If we can pick up a, a like a string of results there, once we come to playing another big team again, Man United, yeah, and we've mm. bi- if we've built up some confidence by that stage, and you go into those games mm. with a far better outlook. Whereas the other way, if you play all the good teams at the beginning and you've got that losing mentality in, and then you play someone weak, you have even less of a chance of beating them than you would if you were obviously you know going in, in a bit better form. So, but I can't it never wait. works out like that, does it? There's never a right time to play someone. You could play someone later on in the season, then they've got loads of injuries or they've got fantastic momentum. But next week's show is an exciting one because the Premier League will be kicking off. We're going to be diving into it. We're going to be talking everything West Ham. We'll see you again next Tuesday. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. Sports Social Podcast Network.